Good morning, Redeemer Church. If we have not met yet, my name is Hudson Smith, and I serve as the Director of Operations here, and it is a joy to be with you this morning. Welcome. I have a few short announcements for us as we start. A couple reminders that Redeemer Kids classes start next week at 1030. That's for ages 2 through 9, so don't forget that. I want to remind you about the upcoming Equip class that we have on biblical manhood and womanhood, that's for all men and all women to come and be a part of that class and learn what is a biblical theology of manhood and womanhood. And so we want to um, encourage you to be a part of that. That's starting September 11th. And then uh, the, the big reminder is that next Sunday will be our first first Sunday prayer time. And so at 9 a.m. we will meet in here for a time of prayer and thanksgiving and, and petitions to the Lord, hearing some testimonies and hearing an exhortation from the word. And we would love all of you to be here at 9 a.m. for first Sunday prayer. So with those announcements, let me pray for us and then we will look at God's word Father, we come this morning having worshipped you and wanting to continue in worship. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come now and and direct our hearts and our minds and our affections to you, that we would see the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so, open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from your word, namely you. So, would you come now and be with us? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, our passage today in the Gospel of John has us getting toward the end of the Gospel of John, and we have some amazing things that we get to see in this passage. The title for our sermon today is The Appearing, but but I almost think that the title could be The Appearings, because we're going to look at the second and the third appearing of the risen Lord Jesus Christ that we have recorded in the Gospel of John. And so uh, the, the first appearing... If you remember, we heard that story last week. And so Pastor Chris preached on the resurrection. And we had Easter in August as we heard about the risen Lord Jesus Christ appearing to Mary Magdalene when she went to the tomb early Sunday morning and the stone was rolled away. And she ran and got uh, Peter and the other disciple. We're pretty sure that it was John. And, and, and they ran and they went to see and they go to the tomb and it's empty except for the, the linen cloths that Jesus had been wrapped in. And, and they begin to start to see and start to believe and start to understand some of the things that Jesus had said and that the scriptures had said about how Christ would be crucified. He would die and then he would raise from the dead. And then as Mary is standing there weeping by the tomb, Jesus appears to her and he calls her by name and he says, go tell my brothers And so she goes and she tells him, and she says, I have seen the Lord. And so that's the first appearing that brings us to our passage today. And so as we look at this second appearing and this third appearing, as we look at these appearings this morning, I just want to make sure that we approach them with the right sense of awe and wonder. Because we have to be very, very careful that we don't just subtly move on from the resurrection. Not only just in our passage this week, but also in our Christian lives, uh, we have to 
continually remember the resurrection. And so last week, we had Easter in August, but in some sense, a healthy, mature, vibrant walk with Christ will wake up every morning and have Easter every morning. Because we should wake up every morning blown away that we are not getting what we do deserve because Jesus took our place and he is raised from the dead. And one of the biggest threats to our faith is that we would subtly get bored with and lose awe and wonder at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that leads down a road to being nominal, to being stagnant in our faith. But on the other hand, show me someone who is vibrant in their walk with Christ, and chances are they, are, they regularly find themselves in awe of the fact that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Don't get bored with the resurrection, Redeemer Church. Uh, Don't forget the resurrection. Don't just read it over or talk about it casually and forget the significance. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He has bore our sins and he has defeated sin and death once for all. And so we, we heard about it last week and we rejoiced. And and as we look at our passage this morning, we want to come with that same sense of awe and wonder. We want to be in awe and in wonder of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Because we will miss this whole passage if we don't come to it with awe at the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead. The, The whole atmosphere of this passage is awe and wonder at the resurrected Jesus Christ. Christ. And so uh, when you look at something with awe and wonder, you don't just take a glance and walk away. I'm thinking about like a, a, a desert sunrise or a desert sunset and, and the oranges and the purples and the pinks are all filling up the sky. You don't just look at that and kind of glance away. You, you, you take a moment, kind of take a breath. And, and that's a million times more true for us as we look at Jesus. No sunset or mountain or galaxy or waterfall comes close to the awe and wonder of seeing Jesus in the resurrection. And so as we look at these two appearings here in our passage, and we try to make sure that we slow down and we come to them with the right kind of awe, um, I, I want to draw our attention to three specific, glorious, amazing things that we see about Jesus from these appearings. So here's our three things that we're going to see this morning. The resurrected Jesus brings peace. The resurrected Jesus launches mission. And the resurrected Jesus kills doubts. The resurrected Jesus brings peace, the resurrected Jesus launches mission, and the resurrected Jesus kills doubts. So our first scene uh, here in the passage today comes later that evening on Easter Sunday. And so the disciples are locked away. They're they're absolutely terrified. Uh, And then as they're in that room, locked away, all of a sudden Jesus is there. And we don't know the details of how exactly he got in there. But we just know that miraculously somehow Jesus is there in their midst. And he looks at his disciples in verse 19. He says to them, Peace be with you. And so this brings us to our first main point. The resurrected Jesus brings peace. 
So the first thing that the risen Lord Jesus Christ says to his disciples, his closest friends and followers, is peace be with you. And there is a whole lot of meaning packed in to this phrase here. On one level, it's just the standard Hebrew greeting, shalom aleichem. Uh, you might recognize the Arabic phrase that sounds similar, assalamu aleichem, that most of us living here in Dubai, mean, we know that it means peace be upon you. And so on one level, this is just a standard greeting that Jesus is giving to them. But, but it's clear that these words carry so much more weight than just a standard greeting. Because the disciples had just watched their leader and their friend be arrested, unfairly accused, unfairly convicted, savagely beaten, mocked, and killed. And Jesus had tried to warn them that this was going to happen, but we can't really fault the disciples for the fact that they had no real clue the extent of what exactly that meant or how horrific of a thing it was about to be. And so they've just gone through the trauma of seeing their friend and their leader murdered. And on top of that, they uh, know that they're personally in a lot of trouble. They're personally at risk. And so they've, they've locked themselves in a room because they're terrified. And so when Jesus says to his disciples, peace be with you, he's reminding them of the promise that he had given before. In, in John chapter 14, we hear it in verse 27, that he would give them peace. John 14, verse 27 Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then we also hear in, in chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so Jesus comes to his fearful and anxious disciples, and the first thing that he says to them is meant to calm their anxious hearts. Peace be with you. And then he shows them his, his hands and his side. He shows them his scars as, as the definitive proof that his, his death and resurrection has defeated sin and has overcome the world. And, and can you hear the shepherd's care for his sheep here? It, imagine what it was like for the disciples to hear Jesus say this to them. Uh, for those of us here in Dubai, we know what it's like to be separated for a time from a close friend or a loved one. We, we know that our hearts hurt in that when we're separated from a close friend or a loved one, and even more so when we're not sure when we might see them again, and even more so if we don't know how they're doing and we think that they might be in trouble. And so the disciples are worried and scared and anxious, and then imagine what it's like when you see that person again. How do you feel? Happy. And especially if it's not on Zoom. Am I right? Am I right? You, you're, you're in awe. You, you're just, you're happy. And, and when I was studying this passage, I just kept coming back over and over, back to the end of verse 20. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. That's an understatement. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. In their partial understanding of everything that had happened, uh, they weren't sure if they'd ever see him again. And then there he was, resurrected. 
and they are in awe and, and they're happy. They're in awe and they're happy. And so Jesus appears here to his troubled, his troubled disciples. And the first thing that he says to them is, peace be with you. And, and he does this to remind them of the peace that he had promised he would give them and to show them that they can trust that promise. But, but there's even more. The fact that Jesus repeats this phrase, peace be with you, a second time, clues us into the fact that there's even more meaning packed into this phrase. Because, again, remember the context. Remember the resurrection. Uh, this is right after Jesus' death and resurrection. And it's right before he sends the disciples out to proclaim forgiveness of sins. And so in light of that, when we hear Jesus for a second time say, peace be with you, how can we not hear that and think about the truth that Jesus has just secured that peace on the cross? In, in Jesus' death and resurrection, he accomplished everything necessary for us to have peace and reconciliation with God. And so, yes, we can have peace and not be troubled because Christ has promised that and he has kept that promise. But even more than that, we were once enemies of God. And now Jesus, in his death and resurrection, has defeated sin and made it possible for us to live in a right, reconciled relationship to God. And this is exactly what the disciples needed to hear. So the first phrase out of Jesus' mouth to his disciples when he appears to them is, peace be with you. And the second phrase out of Jesus' mouth when he appears to the disciples is, peace be with you. And so Jesus wanted them to hear that. You think? Just a little bit? He wants us to hear it this morning, too. And, and I have no doubt that he wants us to hear it in, in every sense that he meant it when he said, to, said it to his disciples. Hear Jesus Christ, the resurrected Son of God, saying to you, peace be with you. And so is, is your heart troubled or anxious about something and you're afraid? Maybe you're looking for a job and you don't know if or when you'll ever get one. Maybe you're a parent and you're struggling with how to have wisdom in raising your kids. Or maybe you desire to be a parent so badly and the Lord has not given you children. Maybe you're walking through conflict with a close friend or a family member and it's hard for you to, to see a way forward. Or maybe it's something else. I don't have to list them all. If, if you're worried and troubled in your heart about something, I probably don't need to say it because it might be all you can think about. And so whatever that is, Jesus is saying to you this morning, peace be with you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Hear that now. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, maybe you need to hear that there is peace. Are you feeling the weight of how your sin has made you an enemy of God? And that there is nothing that you could do to fix that. Jesus is saying, peace be with you. Trust in Christ to save you from your sins. Turn from your sin and trust in him and receive the peace he offers. If you are a Christian this morning, is Satan attacking you and trying to use your indwelling sin to make you forget that you are reconciled to God? Peace be with you. 
be reminded that you are reconciled and right with God. The resurrected Jesus brings peace. And so that's our first main point. Jesus, uh, the resurrected Jesus brings peace. And so Jesus says, peace be with you. And then he showed him his hands and his side. And then he repeats, peace be with you again. And then let's see what he says next in the last part of verse 21. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This brings us to our second main point, that the resurrected Jesus launches mission. Oh, Redeemer Church, please do not miss the beauty of what's happening here. Remember the resurrection. So Jesus proclaims peace to his disciples, and then in all the glory and the power and the beauty of the resurrection, he tells them that they are sent in the same way that he was sent from the Father. Please, please, please do not miss the magnitude of what's happening here in this passage. It's the same magnitude that happened when Jesus in Matthew 28, with all authority in heaven and earth, set, in heaven and earth said to the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. And we know that Jesus said that not just to the disciples who were there, but to every uh, individual Christian, every disciple that would come, every follower of Jesus. Jesus was saying, go and make disciples of all nations. And so he commissioned individual Christians and the church corporately to go and make disciples of all nations. That's what's happening here in our, in our passage. And, and just as a side note, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, and our text today, they're not two different versions of the same event. They're actually different events. So they both happen uh, post-resurrection, but they happen at different times and in different places. Same thing with Jesus' commissioning in Luke 24, when Jesus says forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. That's a different time. That's on the road to Emmaus. And then when uh, at the beginning of the book of Acts, before Jesus ascends to the Father, he says, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. That's a different time. And so these aren't these passages aren't different versions of the same event. They're different times that Jesus is saying, go tell the whole world who I am. I mean, that is amazing. I, I heard, um, yeah, one pastor say it like this. Before the cross, Jesus preached a lot of different sermons. After the cross, Jesus preached one main sermon. You have to go tell the whole world the unbelievable news of the gospel. These aren't the same event. This is Jesus over and over and over saying, I, the, my death and resurrection is the best news in all the world. You have to go tell them. And so he says it in different ways and at different times. Testify as a witness to that, to the end of the earth. Make disciples and teach the nations. Preach forgiveness of sins to all nations and do it all in a way that I have been sent, the same exact way that I've been sent from the Father. And so again, please don't underestimate the magnitude of what's going on here. Texts like this are why we say that we are a church of many nations seeking to what? Make disciples of all nations. We are a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, sent church. And so with that said, coming to this passage, feeling the magnitude, remembering the resurrection, what does it mean that we are sent as Jesus was sent? 
over and over and over throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is either referred to or refers to himself as the one who is sent from the Father. And and the main thing that I think John wants to emphasize in saying this is how we are actually to reflect Jesus as his representatives. And so if you made me give you one sentence that summarizes what it means for us that we are sent as Jesus was sent from the Father, I would say it like this. We are to reflect Jesus as his representatives in both our words and in our actions. We are to reflect Jesus as his representatives in both our words and in our actions. There's two main reasons that I think this is really what John is getting at. The first is just throughout the book of John, the gospel of John, we see Jesus doing this as the sent one. Uh, John chapter 12 verses 44 through 50 gives us a really good picture of this. And Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me does not receive my words as a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have spoken not on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. And so Jesus clearly sees himself uh, as reflecting the Father as his representative, both in his words and in his actions. So Jesus was sent by the Father to show the Father to the world. And so for us, we are sent by Jesus to show Jesus to the world. Just as Jesus reflected his sender, we reflect our sender, Christ. And the second main reason that I think that reflecting Jesus is at the heart of what John is trying to help us see here is uh, what we see at the end of verse 22 uh, when Jesus breathes on them. Look at verse 22. This is a reference to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. At the end of verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So Deepak read this verse in Genesis 2, 7 for us. Here's what it says again. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living creature. And so we know that when God created man, when he breathed life into the first man, into Adam, uh, he was creating him in his image. Man was created in God's image to reflect his glory and to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Genesis 1, chapter 27 says that. We're made in his image, to, and, and then God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so God, uh, th- that language of fill the earth, that's Old Testament mission language. Uh, God wanted Adam to multiply physically and spiritually so that there would be worshipers of God filling the whole world. God wanted them to uh, create image bearers all over the earth who would reflect God's glory. That was Adam's mission. 
as the first man. And so Jesus here, he's just to finish, finish accomplishing salvation for his people through his death and resurrection. And now he's saying to his new people, his new covenant community, I am recreating you. I am the new Adam and I'm restoring the image of God in you that was damaged when you rebelled in sin at the fall. And I'm sending you out so that you will reflect me and my glory in your words and actions as representatives. So here this Redeemer Church, we are new creations. We are his new covenant community. And we are sent out by Jesus just as he was sent by his father to reflect and represent him in our words and in our actions. Just as Jesus was to reflect the Father, we reflect him. And, and, and this is not our mission. This is God's mission. This is God's idea. This is God's purpose. And God will be the one who is doing the hard work. God will be the one who is doing the heavy lifting. And, and that's why Jesus reminds the disciples here to receive the Holy Spirit. Um, This this passage um, is not saying that the Holy Spirit in all his fullness came upon the disciples here. Did you catch that? This, This passage is not saying that the Holy Spirit in all his fullness came upon the disciples in this passage. Scripture is clear that that happens, that will happen in Acts 2 at Pentecost. When the the Holy Spirit will come and will fill the disciples, that's when the disciples receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit and they're transformed into powerful witnesses of Christ's death and resurrection. But that doesn't happen here. These guys go back to fishing after this. Next chapter. They're not transformed into the unbelievable witnesses that they will be. There's still yet to come. And so Jesus is just reminding, hey, this is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. What's happening is that Jesus, he's reminding them of the promise that he made in John chapter 14. uh, That he would send his Holy Spirit. And now he's connecting the sending of the Holy Spirit with the mission that he's giving them. That yes, they are the ones who will be sent, but they will not be left alone. And it will be God working in them. Their power will come from the Holy Spirit who is working in them. And so their job is just to faithfully reflect Jesus in their words and in their actions. And and that's why at the end of verse 23, that's what that means. When Jesus says to them, this is kind of a troubling passage, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What's that mean? It doesn't mean, as some people believe, that the disciples are getting some special power from Jesus here to be able to forgive sins. Scripture is clear that God alone has the power to forgive sins. Scripture is crystal clear on that. But here, Jesus is entrusting to his disciples the message of, of reconciliation, the, the message of salvation and forgiveness of sins. And so as they faithfully and truthfully proclaim that message, they, will, they can say with a degree of authority, your sins are forgiven or your sins are not forgiven. Not because they have power in and of themselves, but based on someone's faith or non-faith 
in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because they're just faithfully reflecting their sender. Is this making sense? And so this is what Jesus is doing here. God alone forgives sin. Salvation is found in no one else, only Jesus. And we are sent to reflect and proclaim that. And for this season of our lives, he has sent us specifically to Dubai, United Arab Emirates. Um, a city, millions of people, and all estimates are that less than 1% of people here are Christian. Millions of people, less than 1% are Christian. In this city, we have people from every tribe and tongue and nation here among us, and we have been sent to them. And let us not forget, Redeemer Church, that the only reason that any of us can even be in this room this morning and can worship freely and proclaim the gospel freely is because faithful Christian workers were sent here to UAE before UAE was UAE, and they were sent and they started a hospital in the desert called Oasis Hospital, and they ministered to the ruling family as faithful reflections of Christ. And now we stand on their shoulders and we have the ability to worship freely and proclaim, proclaim Christ freely here in this place. You can't help but think of Jesus' words from John four thirty eight: I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. That is true of us here this morning. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. This is true of us, Redeemer Church. And so the question is, as sent ones, are we do, how are we doing at reflecting Jesus in our specific pocket of Dubai? How are we doing at reflecting Jesus in our specific pocket of Dubai? Are we speaking the gospel and living holy lives as faithful representatives of Christ? Imagine, Redeemer Church, what it would look like if we collectively seriously embraced our commissioning as sent ones to reflect Christ. Between all of us, we would impact nearly every major pocket of society. Those of us who are working can reflect Jesus to our coworkers and at our jobs across so many industries. Those who stay at home with kids can reflect Jesus in our parenting to other parents. Redeemer kids and tweens and youth and uni students can reflect Jesus to their friends and to their classmates. People in Karama can reflect Jesus there. People in Murdiff can reflect Jesus there. People in Silicon Oasis can reflect Jesus there. And Redeemer Church would be reflecting Jesus all over this city if we would embrace this mission as sent ones of Christ. And this would be not only our responsibility as sent ones, but it would be our joy as Jesus' people. Don't let the weight and the responsibility of our commissioning as sent ones keep us from missing the absolute joy and privilege for, that it is for us to be a part of being a part of being a part of the gospel going to all nations. I love the way the apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3, 7 and 8. I think we'll have it on the screen. Paul says this about the fact that he has the privilege of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. 
To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What an unbelievable privilege. Not only will, does Jesus save us, but he has commissioned us and he wants to use us. Sometimes on Saturday mornings, I'll take uh, my kids to McDonald's while mommy goes to Bible study. And one of our favorite things to do at McDonald's these days is uh, for the kids to take turn going back up to the counter asking for the things that we forgot to get the first time. Okay, and so they love it. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll send them up kind of one at a time. I'll tell them, okay, here's what we need. Okay, go up there. You say please. You say thank you. And and so they they go up there, and sometimes they get it right, and it's awesome. And sometimes just fail miserably. I mean, uh, sometimes they'll go up there, and and they'll uh, ask, and they'll get so excited that they asked the right way that when the person goes in the back to get what they needed, like they'll run back and they'll forget to even like get it because they're just so excited or. Or sometimes they'll get up there and they'll totally forget what they're supposed to ask for. And so they'll get up there and then they'll turn back to me. Daddy, what do we need? They'll just yell across the restaurant. What do we need? And I'll, napkins, you know. And, and so then they'll get them and they'll bring them back and they're, they're so pumped. And, and sometimes I'm like, I could have just done that myself. Like I could have just yelled across the restaurant. Um, but, but nothing beats watching them have the joy that they get at doing something that they've seen me do, saying something that they've seen me say, and getting to be a part of that. Of course, I could do it myself at any point, but I want my kids to experience that joy. And, and how much more is that true for us as how we have been sent by Christ? Of course, he does not need us. But he has chosen to invite us into his mission for our joy. Redeemer Church, some of you need to hear this morning that the mission does not depend on you and that God in his sovereignty and power could yell across the room at any point and get the job done. And you need to trust in that and you need to find rest for your weary soul. There is no question that the God of all nations will receive the worship of all nations that glorious day in the new heavens and the new earth. It will happen. But because he wants you to experience the joy of participating in the mission, he chooses to use you. And some of you need to realize this morning that you're actually missing out on that joy of participating by not embracing the fact that you, as a disciple of Jesus, have been sent out. You want in on that mission, believe me. Okay? And so, we see that the resurrected Jesus launches mission. And our last point, uh, as we come to the second appearing, is that the resurrected Jesus kills doubts. The resurrected Jesus kills doubts. So the first appearing of our passage, Jesus speaks peace to his disciples, shows them his hands, shows them his side, commissions them, sends them out, reminds them that the Holy Spirit will come and empower them for mission. And, and we see Jesus brings peace. Um, he launches to mission. And, and now we get to see 
in the story of Thomas that the resurrected Jesus kills doubts. What a sweet story this is. Thomas wasn't there uh, when Jesus appeared to the other disciples, and so they tell him about it. And he says in verse 25, Unless I see his ha- in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And then eight days later, we get almost a repeat appearing. Doors are locked, Jesus comes in, peace be with you. And Jesus looks at Thomas and he says to him, verse 27, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And maybe you're not quite sure about Thomas saying when he says, that he won't believe unless he sees what's going on there. Is that okay that he says that? But his heart posture isn't really something that's condemned in the Bible. The Bible is full of people looking for assurances from God. Abraham, Job, read all the Psalms. What's happening here, God? I don't understand. Where are you, God? I can't feel your presence. That's pretty normal in the Christian life. And so maybe it's not so bad that he was asking for this proof in order to believe. Because really the focus here in this appearing is not on Thomas and his faith and whether we should try to imitate his faith. The focus is on Jesus' tender care for him in spite of his doubt. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus is so gracious that he does whatever is needed so that his people would believe. If you're here this morning and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it is only because Jesus pursued you and did everything necessary to overcome your unbelief and draw you into a relationship with him. And he did that on top of dying for your sins and raising from the dead. Not only did he die for you and raise from the dead for you, but he tore down all your unbelief and drew you to himself. And if you're here this morning and you are not a believer in Christ, I wonder what barriers are keeping you from believing in him. What if you brought those barriers to him and you asked him to tear them down. Now, I want to warn you, if you're going to do that, which I would encourage you to do, sometimes Jesus tears those barriers down in maybe a way that we would not expect or want or hope. And so someone might be here this morning and the main barrier to believing in Jesus might be some sin that you just don't want to give up. It might be an unhealthy dating relationship that you're in. It might be love of money or your love of power. It might be some secret sin like looking at pornography. It might be gluttony or overindulgence or love of alcohol. It might be your desire to be the one who is in control of your life or any number of other sins that you're just clinging to. And so you might be saying, Jesus, if I could just keep living in my sin and believe in you, then I would do it. 
Please let me keep my sin. Please remove that barrier to me believing in you. My friends, Jesus will not answer that prayer. Because it would not be loving for him to do that. But what he might do is answer it in a different way. And what he might do is start to convict you of that sin by the power of his Holy Spirit. And you might find yourself losing a taste for that sin and realizing how truly empty it makes you feel. And then you might find yourself coming to him like the tax collector in Luke 18 who couldn't even lift up his eyes toward heaven but could only beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know what Jesus will say in that moment. Peace be with you. I died for you. I am raised for you. Receive my forgiveness. And the right response by you in that moment will be Thomas's. My Lord and my God. It will be awe at the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. That was Thomas here. When he said, my Lord and my God, that wasn't just an expression of his belief. It was a profound statement about the deity of Jesus Christ. At the very beginning of the gospel, John shows, in his gospel, John shows us very strongly that Jesus is God. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he's doing the same, same thing here. Thomas's exclamation here is one of the strongest statements in the entire New Testament about the truth that Jesus is God. Because the Greek word here that's translated Lord is the same word used to translate God's covenant name Yahweh in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is God. And he is the one who is saying to you today to believe in him. Friends, hear the person of Jesus Christ. Hear God say to you today, do not disbelieve, but believe. Because Jesus has been saying that for the entire book of the Gospel of John. That's why the purpose statement of the whole book comes next. John is saying, Jesus' words right here are why I wrote this whole book. Do not disbelieve, but believe. That's why I wrote the whole book. Before we even get out of the John chapter 1, we see Jesus introduced as the Word of God, the Word who became flesh, the maker of all things, the true light who has come into the world, the glorious, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, the one whose sandal strap John the Baptist is unworthy to untie, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the one on whom the Spirit descended, the one who calls his disciples, the Messiah, him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote son of god king of israel son of man that's john 1 and then he doesn't stop for the rest of the gospel over and over we're seeing jesus the son of god in all his glory and we can't help but believe and i love jesus's statement to thomas there in verse 29 have you believed because you have seen me Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So I don't think this is as much a rebuke to Thomas as it is a sweet promise 
given to every single person in this room this morning. Friends, we have seen these appearings written to us so that we would believe today. And who wouldn't want to believe in this Jesus, the resurrected Jesus? The one who brings peace, the one who launches mission, the one who kills doubts. That Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And then be sent out and tell the whole world. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We are in awe. We are in wonder at the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Would you continue to remind us of the peace that you give, the mission that you launch us into, and the way that you kill our doubts. And grow our love for you as we remember this over and over and over. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.